Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A fire hydrant has H2O in the inside and K9P on the outside. <laughs> is this on? Macamagab, it's another Vieira Vault, and man, this one's awesome. I got the great Bob Nalbamian on the show, and uh, he's going to talk about uh, the Bay Area Godfathers. It's a DVD he's putting out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have a movie premiere and everything, and it's a great interview. Not only do we talk about the DVD and the great Thrasher Die that adds a lot of music to the DVD, and also, uh, you know, his history in the, in the L.A. scene and the California metal scene, the early 80s, the fanzines. He did, he did a fanzine back then. We talk about his friendship with Metallica, Armored Saint. And, oh, it's just There's just so much stuff that we need to get into this right now. My interview with the great Bob Nalbambian. Well, we have the one and only, my... Main inspiration to start podcasting, Mr. Bob Nalbamian. How you doing, Bob? Doing good. You are too kind, Ralph. Too kind. <laughs> uh, it's true, though, man. Skull Sessions. You remember me, man. I was the guy that sent you that Thrasher ICD. Man, how long ago was that? That was a while ago, and it took many years, and I'm putting it to use, putting it to real good use in this oh, new yeah. metal movie. So it pays off people to send stuff, even if something happens years down the road. That's right, and now uh, Bob has uh, g- given me the honor of being part of his brand new Bay Area Gods DVD, and and I believe it will be premiered uh, soon at a theater. Yeah, San we're doing Francisco. the big premiere on uh, March 29th here in San Francisco. We figure, you know, since it is a Bay Area documentary, rather than doing it in L.A. or or anywhere else, it's you know makes sense to do it in the Bay Area. So, uh, yeah, March 29th, it's a special matinee, and we're actually going to be screening part one and part two. Um, they'll be released separately, uh, obviously, at, at, at different times. But, you know, we want to give it, it. The screening is mainly for all the artists uh, that and all the people that were involved in the movie are going to be there. And we're releasing some tickets to public. So anyone that wants to come out, uh, I believe tickets are $17. You could uh, buy them at the uh, website of the Roxy Theater. That's R-O-X-I-E Theater in San Francisco. Just go to their website and, uh, you know, go to their uh, uh, their upcoming shows or their schedule calendar. And uh, just go to the March 29th Bay Area Godfathers and you could order tickets right online. And we should have some tickets available the day of the show, hopefully, depending on, uh, you know, uh, how packed the theater is, but it's a big theater, so I'm hoping we should. Oh, I'm sure it'll be a good turnout. You know, I actually was planning on going, 
And but then Michael Branville uh, sent me a message saying, "Hey, come, come to the." And I go, "Oh, you're gonna be there, so I'm not going now." <laughs> <laughs> it's always Michael's fault that fucker. He ruined it. He well, scared yeah. everybody off that guy. Yeah, the tool will be there, and I wish I could. I really well, do. Dude, you are uh, not only featured in the movie; you are the featured band, Thrasher. That's right. Featured band. Oh, you're th- all throughout. You're basically the main soundtrack of this movie. So, um. Yeah, you will be um, definitely uh, uh, featured thoroughly throughout both part one and part two. I'm so honored. And uh, when, when I saw that trailer, I was like, oh, my God, there I am. Street Trash underneath, like, Lars talking and the guys from Testament and Anthrax, all these, like, you know, godly people. And I hear my, my music under it. And I'm like, wow. So that's why I can't wait to yeah. actually get my hands on those DVDs. No release yeah. date yet. Is there? Really, uh, on DVD, it will be it will be streaming just so people know. So, uh, oh, cool. uh, probably be coming out on DVD first, and then uh, streaming through uh, you know the regular outlets, Amazon, uh, Apple Music, uh, you know, which formerly iTunes and uh, Google Play, and uh, you know, probably uh, many others. Uh, you know, Voodoo and and whatever other uh, uh, outlets, uh, digital outlets we have. But it will be definitely available digitally. Right on. And, and uh, you know, in this podcast, there'll be links underneath for the, you know, the commercials, the promos for it, and the amazing promo I did for you. Yes, yes. We didn't really <laughs> utilize that that, uh, that much. We might add it as a bonus feature on the DVD, but I totally appreciate your editing work on that. And uh, that uh, was just kind of like a little bonus thing uh, since uh, John Stranansky was in town for a bit. He's uh, uh, one of the, the producers of the movie. And the one that uh, really got me going uh, on this Bay Area introduced me to a lot of the artists and stuff. So uh, we uh, did uh, like a little uh, promo with the two of us talking about the movie to give a little insight about the movie. Right on. And, you know, just judging by that promo, I'm like, man, Bob, you got a lot of pull, man. You get big names all over because I own all of them, all of your all your DVDs that you put out so far. And, uh, you know, it's big name people, you know, you really are, uh, you really know how to pull in people in the industry, as they say. Well, dude, I'm a big name dude, man. Come on. That's right. Yeah. I'm Bob Nelbandian. What the fuck are you thinking, Ralph? I mean, look how, (laughs) look how huge I am. And it's all because of you. (laughs) Well, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and, uh, you know, I've been doing, you know, since the fanzine days in the early eighties, I've been you know, working uh, with these artists when they were very small local bands, you know, we're talking Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, when they're uh, forming stages, when they were cover bands, so to speak. And uh, so, you know, we've got a long lasting relationship uh, with a lot of these artists. And like I said, John Stranansky grew up in the Bay Area, so he knew all the Bay Area bands uh, from the beginning. And, you know, we've got the guys from Reality Check TV, uh, you know, uh, Danny Shipman and Hugh Kinnabaugh, they both uh, 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 edited the movie. And also uh, we use lots, uh, primarily, mostly all the uh, their footage, since they had been shooting footage in the Bay Area since like the late 80s. Uh, a lot of their footage is featured throughout the movie. And they uh, helped out on uh, quite a few of the interviews as well. They've got, uh, you know, contacts to a lot of the major bands. So, uh, you know, if it wasn't for, uh, you know, Reality Check TV and John Stranansky, this uh, this uh, Bay Area documentary wouldn't have been made. And, you know, it's something I wanted to do. I, I figured after we did the L.A. titles, you know, this should be next. And, uh, uh, you know, so it just kind of uh, was, was you know, the obvious thing to do. And uh, thankfully, I've got some great people, you know, uh, 
uh, like I said, Danny Hugh and John Stranansky that uh, were involved, heavily involved in that scene. So it comes off as, uh, you know, very authentic, you know, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, it worked out really well. That's awesome. So it's going to be a two-parter. So this is going to be very long. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, all the movies that ended up, all the Inside Metal titles are, t- are two volumes. And it just kind of happened uh, by accident when we were doing the first movie, The Pioneers of L.A., Hard Rock and Metal. I was struggling to uh, edit it down into a, you know, a, a single 80-minute movie. And, uh, you know, I kept telling Warren, this, this is just, it's just not flowing well. You know, it, it's not telling the full story uh, and, uh, you know, he said, well, you know what, make it two volumes. And, uh, uh, from there, we just decided to make all the titles two volumes since we had so much footage and, uh, you know, we, we really want to give the complete story and, uh, wanted to include everything. So, uh, we figured, you know, by making it two volumes, you know, we could make it into a three hour movie, but you know, if we do a three hour movie, we wouldn't be able to get on digital and a lot of these outlets cause they don't you know, allow for three hour movies, so to speak, uh, many of them. So we just said, you know, Warren just said, dude, just do it in two parts. And I said, yeah, that's great. And just to keep it consistent, we're doing all the uh, inside metal titles uh, as, as two part movies. So yeah, this will be a uh, part one and part two. So three hours total. I, I, I can't stress enough. All these inside metal DVDs I have, I mean, uh, there's so many killer interviews and it's like zero fat because there's so many interesting uh, tidbits with you know Don Dockin and uh, uh, Jack Russell and you know I'm talking about the inside one the ones I've seen so far. Sure. Um, it's it's all great stories, fantastic stories, and it's and and believe me the feedback you know every time I because you know me man I'm always plugging your stuff. Uh, and, yes, I appreciate it. And you always see comments of I love these these uh, Inside Metal series. I own it, you know, um, because it's so. You know, for for a metal fan, especially you know the 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 '80s and LA, you know the the big boom. Um, you know, you were there, and and you got all these people to tell all these stories that were stories I never even knew, and it's just like a hodgepodge of awesomeness, Bob. And, <laughs> well, and, did, yeah, go ahead. Oh, as I say that, you know, that makes me feel good, man. That's exactly what I was striving for for this, because you know, there's you know, there's tons of these metal you know, DVDs or, uh, you know, shows, you know, from the VH1s behind the musics to whatever covering, you know, the, particularly the 80s metal scene. And, you know, I just didn't want to do the same old thing. And, you know, as you know, I'm, a, a, you know, a huge underground, you know, a, a metal fan as you are. And there's a lot of true metal guys out there that that don't want that don't need the fat and the bullshit. They know all that stuff. And I wanted to really go at it as a, as a hardcore fans point of view and give some information that people don't know about. And, you know, again, that's why we really, I, you know, strive to start the, you know, the movie uh, in the early years, the late seventies, you know, when the scene to, I mean, actually the mid seventies, when the LA scene started with, you know, the Starwood and all these killer clubs before MTV and before all these, uh, other, uh, you know, uh, 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 video uh, channels were, were uh, featuring these kind of uh, documentaries. So we go behind the scenes, you know, back to the Van Halen era. And, you know, that was something that hadn't been told. And we kind of wanted to stress, you know, that on the following movies, the L.A. metal scene explodes. We take, you know, a lot of interviews from bands that, 
you know, I mean, everyone knows about the Poisons, the Guns N' Roses, the Motleys and all those bands. But, you know, we dig much, much deeper than any of, of the other documentaries, you know, bands like Warrior, you know, Leatherwolf, London, you know, uh, Max Havoc, Legs Diamond, you know, all these bands that are rarely uh, uh, talked about and discussed. Um, Snow. Snow, you know, I mean, yeah. going back to the first one. Absolutely. And that's what, uh, uh, you know, we really wanted to do. And, and uh, you're right. A lot of these people, even huge, you know, fans and experts in, in metal, you know, send me, uh, you know, comments going, dude, I never knew about this. I never knew, you know, whatever. Joey Vera and Tommy Lee were in a band together. I never knew about, you know, these bands a la carte and Smile and Snow. I mean, I always just thought it was Van Halen and, you know, Legs Diamond and a few other bands. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, and, and that's the purpose is to really educate people. I, I look at this as more of an educational a DVD series rather than a entertainment, so to speak. You know, although a lot of it is very entertaining, uh, it's it's more it just really tell it tells a true story. You know, it doesn't just concentrate on. You know, everyone thinks about oh, the LA scene is it's all about the glam music. You know, and it wasn't. It really wasn't. I mean, that obviously took precedent because that was when MTV got into that whole. Uh, you know, uh, you know, hair metals, you know, quote unquote, uh, scene, and uh, that was uh, what was what what you know was all about Hollywood. But there was so much more, and that's why we did a one on the whole LA thrash scene. A lot of those thrash bands had rarely been talked about, and same with the Bay Area. There's more to the Bay Area than 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 just the thrash scene. So we we cover everything in this new movie, Bay Area Godfather. So uh, you know, a lot of people think it's just the thrash, but it's not. We co you know cover the bands from. You know, the glamier bands from Vane to Head On to, uh, you know, Roadrunner to uh, a lot of those bands, to bands like Stone Vengeance and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lost Rocket and a lot of these bands that haven't been really uh, talked about, but were a huge, huge part of the Bay Area hard rock and metal scene. Yeah. And, you know, what, what you touched upon earlier with your VH1s and all that, look, I mean, you and I are very much alike, at least, uh, but, you know, the only difference between me and you, you were in the thick of it. But I was over here reading about it. I knew everything. So when I see a behind the music or a VH1 thing, it's like they're saying stuff I already knew. Sure. You know, it's nothing new. It's it's more geared to the casual fans. Right. They're the ones that learn shit. But when you watch like the inside metal stuff, that's for the hardcores. That's for the people who go, whoa, like what you were saying earlier. I didn't know Tommy Lee was uh, uh, was in a band with Joey Vera. And I know, you know, the car accident and all that stuff. You know, it's it's all new to me. It's 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 like, whoa! I I didn't know none of this stuff, and that's what's very very extremely interesting about these these things that you're this product you're putting out. It's really geared for you know the people that want stuff we don't know about, and you deliver it, man. You and uh, what's the name of the person that uh, that this uh, does it with you? Uh, John Stranansky. John, yeah, you guys really really do, and it's really well made and. Uh, Boy, man, and and just to think, my music is in the the, the Bay Area, and it's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. And, and and you know, and uh, so when is the premiere uh, the at the theater? It's uh, Sunday, March 29th, and it's going to be a matinee. You know, being a, a long movie, we wanted to do it earlier. And of course, on the weekends, you know, these these theaters they have their main blockbusters they got to do. So we got to kind of get out early. So it's at noon. It's the noon matinee screening at the Roxy Theater in San Francisco on March 29th. And we will probably do a few more screenings afterwards. Do one uh, in LA and maybe one in Vegas. 
uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes, you know, but it's always fun doing the screenings and having, uh, all the fans come out and, uh, you know, getting to talk to people and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's always great. Uh, you know, it's funny we, like, w- uh, what you mentioned, uh, when we did the screenings in LA, you know, Bill Matoyer came out to the, uh, uh, the rise of LA thrash metal screening. And he even said, he goes, dude, I always learned so much from these movies, stuff I never heard of. And I worked with half. Yeah. The- Words I didn't even know. So yeah, that's always a great compliment, uh, you know, hearing from people like that. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, the the screening March 29th at noon at the uh, Roxy Theater in uh, San Francisco. You can buy tickets. You can just shoot me an email if you want, uh, you know, info about the advanced tickets or you can just go to the Roxy Theater website. You know, you know, Bob, there's a theater one block from my house, just planting seeds. (laughs) You know, everyone's saying that, but it's expensive to do this, to rent out, you know, we can work something out sometimes, you know, with, with theaters that, that could, uh, you know, the smaller independent theaters you could maybe work with, but in most cases you have to rent it out and it, you know, it, it, it costs money and it, you know, and the, the promo and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and we want to make it kind of special and exclusive where, uh, you know, the first movie we did do about 50 theaters uh, nationwide. Wow. And, uh, and, and the areas that it was promoted, it did great. And other areas, you know, the theaters, they, you know, they didn't really promote it. It was, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, known to a lot of the people that people were hitting me up afterwards saying, I didn't even know it played here and stuff. So it's, uh, you know, it's a bit tricky doing uh, when you do multiple theaters, but uh, yeah, I mean, you really need a company behind it with a, with a good budget. That's going to do some promo for it. Otherwise, well, you know, you know, I got a DVD player. We can have a premiere at my place, man. <laughs> well, you can you'll crash here. It'll be free. I won't charge anything, man. You'll, you'll be definitely getting in advance there, Ralph. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I look. I very much look forward to that. And uh, but, but let's let's go back a little bit into your history. We have you've been on my show before, and we have touched upon uh, your history in the scene. And uh, but I, I want to. Were you ever like in like you were talking about earlier about fanzines? I don't know if I ever asked you if you were involved in any of those fanzines back then. Oh yeah, I had my own fanzine, the Headbanger. That was uh, the one I did out of uh, Orange County, and I started in April of '82. Was my first issue. So uh, really early on, it was after obviously uh, Brian Slagle had the new Heavy Metal Review, which was a big inspiration, but. My main inspiration, as I've said many times before, was uh, uh, Ron Quintana's magazine, Metal Mania, his fanzine. Yeah. So that that came out uh, uh, a few months before uh, uh, my fanzine, and that was uh, actually where I got my start actually writing. I wrote a couple articles for uh, Metal Mania uh, before doing the Headbanger. In fact, uh, uh, myself and Patrick Scott, we wrote a L.A. heavy metal review, uh, which featured... Uh, uh, Steeler, Rat, Metallica, and Armored Saint. And it was actually the first ever Armored Saint review. Wow. So, uh, which was really cool. It was when they were just uh, starting out, you know, uh, with Lars and James. Uh, and, uh, you know, we knew Lars because he lived in Newport Beach and Pat and I lived in Huntington. So we would go over to his house when, you know, we didn't even know he was in a band then. He was just forming uh, Metallica and he was just this huge metal fan and he would make us... Uh, these these cassettes compilation cassettes of all this killer new wave of british heavy metal stuff so 
Um, that, that's how far back I go. But yeah, the fanzine I started, uh, we did, I did, I think 11 issues and uh, it did really well, man. It was, it was a, a fun time doing the fanzine and that kind of got me in, you know, of course I was like, you know, 18 at the time uh, when I started, but it was, uh, and I started around the same time John Stranansky started new heavy metal review, which came out of the Bay area. So that was when all the fanzines were kind of starting, you know, Bob Maldoni and New York had a great fanzine called the kick-ass monthly. And, uh, you know, there were uh, quite a Sheila Gray in L.A. had a, a fanzine called Heavy Metal Thunder. Uh, actually, now she goes by Sheila Mars. She's married to Dave Mars. But uh, back in the day, it was Sheila Gray. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, it was a cool scene. There were a lot of fanzines. And that's where people got their news from, because the uh, major publications weren't talking about, you know, uh, featuring bands like Metallica or Slayer or Armored Saints or any of the uh, uh, underground at the time metal bands. There was uh, one fanzine, I'm sure you, you can tell me who it is. Uh, there's a, a story back in the day where a guy went up to Lars wanting to start a fanzine, and he said, all right, here's my titles. I have That's one Ron called Quintana. Oh, that was Juan Quintana. He said, yeah, oh, he, I have one called Metallica. He gave him the titles of Metallica and uh, Metal Mania and a couple other titles, and Lars said, dude, don't use uh, Metallica. That's lame. You don't want to use Metal Mania. <laughs> so Ron goes, yeah, you're right. I'll do Metal Mania. And then, of course, Lars took the Metallica moniker and <laughs> used it as his own. But <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. And and it's you know, I mean, as, a, as much crap as that guy gets, I mean, you, you look at. Um, look, I I I did a couple shows with Raven in Puerto Rico. Oh wow. And, yeah, yeah, me and Raven, we're actually buddies. And I just saw them like a week ago. They were amazing. They're John so amazing. Oh, they're, they're still so amazing live. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Love that and, band. But, you know, when I did the show uh, with them a couple of years ago, Raven was telling us, oh, you know, we just played Brazil. Uh, they played a stadium. Metallica took them out. You know, they don't oh, forget hey, their past, you know? Dude, I'll tell you what. Is, like you say, as much shit as Lars and Metallica gets, that band has always been true to their underground uh, uh, followers. And, uh, you know, and he's always... You know, I mean, even I mean, just the fact that he's Metallica's covered all these new wave of British bands that nobody at the time had heard of from, you know, Diamond Head to Blitzkrieg to Holocaust, uh, you know, to Budgie, who'd been around since the late 60s, you know, but were super underground. I mean, this catapulted those bands to the next level and gave them, you know, basically gave them a living. You know, they've been publishing off those songs and. He's always been good to the fans. Uh, you know, he's, they've invited me to uh, all their events in their 30-year big anniversary they did at the Fillmore and the Record Store Day at the Rasputin. And they had a, a little after party at their their old house with like, you know, 50 or so of their main, uh, you know, old school friends. So they, they've always been good, and especially about taking out bands like that, uh, especially now, you know. So, yeah, you, you got to give them props for sure. Yeah, you, you do. I mean, uh, and uh, yeah, because they do not forget their past. They do not forget the people that were there in the beginning. Like, you know, I, I, I remember when uh, that anniversary thing happened and you were there and you were like part of the, the you know, the, the VIP, you know. And I'm like, how cool is that? These are people, not a lot of bands are like that. They just forget the people that were there in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and nobody's bigger than Metallica for them to still remember, you know, is something, you know, that should be applauded, really, you know? Absolutely. And I, I, they know that. They're smart. They know that they can't, especially when you're a band like Metallica that really got their start 
from the underground. You know, they built their way up. They weren't like a flash in the pan, a radio band that never had this loyal, huge underground fan base for many years, up and through, really through Master of Puppets. I mean, they weren't getting any mainstream radio, radio play or, or no video play up until, you know, Justice for All, which was, you know, their their fourth album. So, uh, you know, they built their, their, their name through the underground. So, uh, you know, uh, they, they can't forget who, who got them there because, you know, that is really a mass majority of, of their fan base still uh, to this day, you know, as, as, as mainstream and commercial as they've got, you know, they're, uh, I wouldn't say a mass majority, but a, a, a huge, uh, a very vocal uh, fan base, you know, I mean, and that's the thing with the underground fans is, you know, uh, they will let you know, they will let you know if, if, uh, if, uh, you know, they're not happy with the band, if they feel they're selling out or getting big headed or whatever, you know, they'll, <laughs> they will let you know. So, uh, you know, it, it, it makes sense to the, uh, for them. And, and not to mention, they're still huge fans. I mean, Lars is still a huge, huge metal fan and, you know, way into the underground and always still giving props to the early new wave of British heavy metal bands and, and a lot of other bands that have influenced them. I mean, they were, they're just featured in this new uh, Armored Saint documentary. And, you know, they didn't have to, they didn't have to give the time to do this documentary, which is, you know, uh, you know, not, it's, uh, it's not going to be like this big VH1 huge documentary thing. It's, you know, it's an independent documentary that a, uh, a longtime Armored Saint fan from England, Russell Charrington, is, is, is put together. And, uh, you know, the fact that they've offered their services for that is, is, is great. That, that is awesome. And, yeah, I would like to do I would like to also plug your latest podcast, which is a, a great interview with John Bush. And, and, and again, you know, I mean, uh, you brought up something very interesting in that podcast that I have said myself. It's like, how great is it that Armored Saint is more popular now than they've ever been? You know? Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's amazing, you know? And I, and I, I've always been, I've always, that they've always been my band from the eighties. I always praise them. And just to see that, you know, I mean, they're not huge, but they're way bigger than they've ever been. And it's just. To me, it's just vindication. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And they've, you know, really never broke up. Even while John was in Anthrax, you know, uh, they still did some stuff with Armored Saint. He was still, uh, you know, involved. So uh, it's a band that's been continued and and continued to put out great, great new albums, you know. And that's something oh, yeah. we discussed in the interview is they've never compromised in just putting out a mediocre record. And I think... So many bands, especially 80s metal bands of today, they just put out records just as an excuse to tour because they know the record isn't going to make them much money. It's basically, a, a, you know, an advertisement tool for them to tour. So they don't put the time or integrity as, into the songwriting and, and uh, stuff. So uh, uh, Armored Saint has, I mean, most definitely. And I think it's paid off for them. People, people appreciate that and they appreciate their... Uh, um, integrity as a live band and uh, you know always always deliver they always deliver live yes and uh, I, 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 I don't correct me if I'm wrong but I don't recall hearing in there did he discuss anything about the symbol salvation uh, live show because I know they were going to film a show for the uh, playing that full album I think it was filmed in New York or maybe Canada uh, yeah. was that I heard some about that too. I we didn't we didn't actually talk about that. Um, I don't know if that's going to be like an official release through Metal Blade because they they just put out that live uh, CD and DVD, right? The Carp. What, what yes. was that? Carp. Yeah. The, the, Todd. I, yeah, I got it. I got the. 
Yeah. A limited so, edition vinyl. Yeah, and, and that came out on DVD as well, right? No. No, no it okay, did not. Okay. I'm uh, well, maybe they will. I, I'm, I'm not too sure if that is uh, going to be uh, coming out uh, or not. But I know they did do that. Uh, their last tour they did, they played the Symbol of Salvation in, in its entirety. Or maybe not the last tour, but a couple years ago. Bob, I would love for you to come back on my show with John Bush, please. <laughs> I would love to. He'd be up for it. Yeah, we, you know, just let me know. We'll, we'll, we can set that up. Oh, anytime. You let me know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take time off of work for that, you know, because, <laughs> you know, if you listen to my very first year vault, I said on it, I said, my dream is to get, get either Rob Halford or John Bush on my phone, on my show. So please make my dream. You already made my dream happen being a podcast superstar. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, if you, you can, are. If you can go that extra mile. So you got, you go way back with Armored Saint as well. You knew them like before they were a band or did you meet them when they already formed? No, I actually, first time I saw them was at a club called the Woodstock. And that mm -hmm. was probably, uh, that was in, uh, uh, I would guess late 81. Wow. Maybe early 82. Late 81, I think, where I saw them at the Woodstock. And believe it or not, Joey wasn't even in the band then. That was mm. when... Joey was still playing with the Greg Leon invasion and uh, they were trying to get him in the band because they were all real close friends. But I saw their, uh, their one of their one and only shows without Joey on bass. Uh, wow. which was pretty cool. And they just blew me away. And uh, that was, uh, and they were no, they were just a band from Pasadena. No one had heard of. And then I put them on the cover of my fanzine headbanger. And that's when we wrote that LA heavy metal review for a uh, metal mania. I included, that Armored Saint from that show that I saw. Uh, so, uh, and that, came, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was, um, that was where I, where I first met them. And then I went out to see them in Pasadena at Pookie's, which was just fucking mayhem. They had this huge underground following in Pasadena. And that was like the first metal show I saw in LA that was like that British style metal. You know, we're talking like late 81 or so. And this was when, you know, you would see the footage from Iron Maiden, you know, from like their DVD, you know, or on MTV, they had, you know, Wrathchild or Killers, right. you know, you would see the crowd. And, and you know, that was the first time I saw that kind of headbanging stuff in, in the L.A. crowd. It's like, wow, this is fucking awesome, you know. So, yeah, it blew, blew me away. And that was just before um, or right around the time Metallica had started playing uh, with um, uh, Saxon. That was March of 82. So I think... Uh, uh, they started probably around the same time, yeah. Do you recall uh, on that first show? I know it's a long time ago, and I'm going to jostle your memory bank. If it was like uh, they had original material, were they playing like mostly covers? Oh, Armored, Armored Saint. Saint. Yeah, yeah, no, they did all. They did. They did Hellbent for Leather as an encore, nice. and that I believe was the only cover. They did False Alarm, Lesson oh. Well Learned. They had all the songs from the EP on the way. Uh, no reason to live. Uh, they even had N Never Alone that you know, which ended up mm, on uh, yeah, the second album. Yeah. yeah, they did um, uh, released. Uh, so they had a full set of, of all original songs. Yeah, stricken wow. by fate. Yeah, those all those songs they they played. So th that was the cool thing about them. That's why I, I always thought they were ahead of like because you know Metallica when their first show I saw their very first show too at Radio City. And then saw them again with Saxon, and they did 90% cover songs. I think the only original they had in the beginning was Hit the Lights. But nobody knew that they were doing covers, because it was all songs by Diamond Head, Sweet Savage, 
Blitzkrieg Savage. So uh, everyone thought they were originals, but uh, Armored Saint were one of the first bands that really came out doing all originals like that. And uh, even Slayer, when I first saw Slayer, they were doing half or mostly all cover songs. You know, I, I bet a lot of Priest, right? A lot of Priest, a couple Maiden songs. I believe they did Deep Purple, uh, Highway Star, and uh, uh, yeah. So um, you know, all those bands uh, started started as as uh, cover bands. Leatherwolf used to be a like an Iron Maiden cover band, and you know, all those Orange County bands from back in the day, they would at least do like half covers. But yeah, Armored Saint, they they had originals from day one. What one band that I really loved from back then was uh, Warrior. Yes, and uh, and I, and you're friends with them too, right? Well, Joe is the producer of the uh, documentary uh, series. He's oh. a co-producer, so yeah. Oh, come on the show with him too. I would love to talk to him. Yeah, you were talking about that. Yeah, Joe. I mean, he hasn't been as involved in in the last few movies. Uh, he was involved in in uh, uh, you know obviously the, the pioneers and, and the second title. And then he got so involved with you know Warrior doing some shows in Europe, and now he's got his own guitar company. Oh, really? Uh, Oh yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. Check it out on Facebook. Uh, the Electrophone, uh, I believe it's called. He's got his own uh, uh, custom-made guitar that he manufactures, which is has a built-in amp inside the guitar, and it's it's pretty amazing. It's a great, great, beautiful-looking guitar. He's got different models, but he's doing really well. So that's obviously taking up most of his time. So uh, uh, you know, we that's why you know, like I said on this one. Uh, there's Bay Area Godfathers. We got, you know, Reality Check TV to come in as co-producers as well as John Stranansky. Wow, great. I would like to, I would love to talk to Joe Floyd about uh well, you know, pretty much the whole discography. I mean, I never heard the last one. It's hard to find with Mark Sirachi. Yeah, that was actually who uh, puts out the uh Inside Metal movies from Metal Rock. He actually uh put that record out. And I don't know what the deal was with that too, because it is. Very hard to find record. I don't know if it's just out of print or what. Yeah, because I have the I have the other three, but yeah. that that eighty five it was on MCA. I don't know why the hell they dropped the ball on that. Because it was MCA. It was yeah. just uh, MCA didn't know that album should have been the next Judas Priest. I mean, it should have been huge. Fucking, I mean, just the song alone, "Fighting for the Earth." That is the ultimate heavy metal anthem, and the oh, video, yeah. everything. Looked great. There was a lot of money. The production, Joe Floyd as a producer, is just phenomenal. I mean, that's one of the best produced 80s metal albums, I think. And uh, everything about that album is just perfect. And MCA didn't know what the fuck to do. I think one of their mistakes is the fact that in, in L.A., anyway, they did a demo tape. And the demo tape sounded pretty much as good as the record of Fighting for the Earth, uh, uh, Day of the Evil, and, and one other song that I don't believe appeared on the on the album. But that demo tape was sent to KMET and KLOS, which were the two big LA stations at the time. This is before KNAC. And they were playing, they, they played it on their local show, and then they ended up adding it into rotation. So it already got a huge amount of radio play in LA. And this was like about a year before the record came out. Because then they got signed, and it took them about a year a little over a year, which back then was a long time. Yeah, you know, uh, and by then the momentum just died out, you know, and and they, you know, they already got that airplay from the demo tape, so they didn't pick it back. They didn't pick the song back up when the record came out. And I don't think MCA did did their push at all. You know, the other thing is they signed 
their deal out of Europe, out of England, through Virgin Music, a, a label called Ten, Ten Records, which was a new subsidiary of Virgin Music. And it was licensed, I believe, to MCA in, in the U.S. So uh -huh. that could be another reason. All, you know, it's, it's all politics. I mean, back then, you know, it, 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 there's so much inside stories about the, the business end uh, with record labels, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, like with a band I managed, Eden, you know, we signed with Enigma and we had supposedly the biggest label at the, the biggest deal at the time. This is before Poison. And we were supposed to get the big capital push and all that stuff. And then the A&R guy left on uh, and left to go to another label. And so it wasn't on the best of terms. And so they're, you know, they're like, oh, Eden, forget it. That's his band. We don't, you know, so there's so much politics within the record business that uh, people don't know about. And, and you always wonder why, man, that album should have been so much bigger than, than it was, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, there's many reasons. And that, you know, that could be one of them with Warrior too. I don't know. It's a perfect album. Defenders of Creation and oh. uh, Ruler. I mean, the whole album from start to finish. Uh, anybody that hasn't heard uh, Warrior fighting for the earth, you need to check that. And, you know, Ancient Future was great too. Uh, you know, it took many years for that to come out, but. Yeah, but it, it's it that seems to be the story about a lot of bands, right, Bob? Like they 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 join a label, everything's great, but then like one of the people that works on the label is either fired or leaves, and then they get replaced by some guy that just doesn't care for the band. Yeah, I that think happens. that happened all over Saint, right? Well, I don't know if it uh, no, because uh, the guy that signed them um, was uh, always uh, always at the label, and his name escapes me now. Ron Fair. And right. he ended up being this big pop producer that produced Christina Aguilera and all this stuff. He he was not a metal guy, even though he did produce Slayer's Hello Wait album, Hello Waits, which wow. is kind of odd because he wasn't at all into metal. Uh, and, you know, again, it was kind of odd that he signed Armored Saint. But, you know, they just saw the potential that Armored Saint was just selling out everywhere in L.A. And they had the most loyal following out of any L.A. metal band. So... They were, you know, Chrysalis wanted to uh, get their hands on it. And Chrysalis, I don't think, were the right label. They were, at the time, they were a very pop label. And they were a radio-oriented label. So, you know, you know, March of the Saint, that production was so polished by Michael James Jackson. I mean, they just geared it for radio play. And Armored Saint weren't a radio band. They weren't like Rat or uh, Poison or Motley Crue. You know, they weren't really geared for radio. They were a live uh, metal band. And, uh, uh, you know, at the time, Chrysalis, all... all their 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 key was getting their bands on radio. They had Huey Lewis in the news, Pat Benatar, Billy Idol. I mean, all these big uh, radio bands, and that's kind of how they wanted to push Armored Saint. And it just they weren't one of those bands, you know. So I don't think they really knew what to do with the band. Uh, but you know, uh, they they made up for it on De uh, Delirious Nomad. But again, I think that was a little little too late, and they didn't really have the big uh, big push as they had on on, on the first record. Well, they didn't have any push, really. I mean, they didn't even release a video for that album. No, no, and, they didn't. They, uh, and and I think if they would have made a video for, let's say, like Aftermath, it would have yeah. done them really good. Well, you know, their mistake too, like all bands' mistakes, but they, you know, they really didn't have any say. It was the label they put up so much money into the production of that record and the video, and the production just sucked. I mean, it was just so. I, I was there in the rough mixes, and the rough mixes sounded great. I mean, if you know Michael James Jackson, you know he did like the Kiss Creatures of the Night record. Right, that right. album sounds amazing. That's a yeah. big, heavy album. And so the band, you know, obviously, where they're thinking, "Wow, he did that album." You know, it's, he's going to make it sound like that. And then 
once he mixed it, and the rough mixes, I'll tell you, I was in the studio when the rough mixes sounded pretty damn heavy. And then they came back with a mix, and they just took out all the rawness. They just polished the fuck out of it. And it was like, what? What is this? What happened? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I, I, there was a story, too, where uh, they were talking to him, and he wasn't into Black Sabbath, and they were like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, I just yeah. don't get. I just don't understand Black Sabbath. I think is what he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. And they're like, "Uh oh." <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think we picked the right guy because you know, Creatures is an amazing album. Um, then he did the next Kiss album, and they kind of took away, which is a great album. Look it up, but they took away that drum sound. Yeah. And I and, and it would have been great to have that drum sound on March of the Saint, you know. Yeah, that's what we were hoping. You know, that's what Gonzo was hoping, and uh, it just wasn't. Uh, wasn't there, and who knows? I don't know if it was the influence of Chrysalis telling them, you know, we need to make it, you know, geared for radio or, in, you know, and you remember in the early 80s, it was all formulated, you know, radio hits at the time. Right. You know, uh, you know everything had to be super polished and, you know, and they, they spent a, a ton of money in the studio. They were at Ocean Way Studios, one of the best and most expensive studios in LA at the time. And, you know, they, they spent a good amount of money. And I think that, hindered them because that you know by the time their second record came out they didn't have you know the budget to really push it properly and uh i think the label was starting to lose face because they were faith because they were you know at the time all the labels they wanted the debut albums to be you know platinum double platinum records you know as they got with you know the van halen or the motley crew or you know those other albums even the knack or whatever and they were they were looking for that one de- that debut album just to be huge and and that album i i think it sold you know about 170,000 records which which isn't bad. i mean today's standards would be great but even back then it wasn't bad but for the amount right. of money they put into it and and whatnot they were expecting it to be a platinum record but they just didn't know how to push it but anyway uh, i'm sure bush could explain it much better than i can i don't want to you know. Yeah, which he'll do on this show with you when you bring him on. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I very much look forward to that. And also, I think uh, um, the, the album cover of Delirious Nomad, it was like, I don't know. I, I think the back cover was better. You know, that didn't well, help. I thought the back cover was uh, cool. I love the concept. I think it's a killer concept. It's a cool painting uh, but you know a lot of people i always heard the thing is that billy idol on the cover yeah yeah i heard that you know, too. <laughs> you know cause it was on the same label it's like no you know and uh yeah i i i think it kind of yeah might have got the wrong impression from from some people but you know well it, it's it, it's just one of those bands that i felt like like their song underdog from raising fear i felt that was like the most underrated band of the 80s i didn't think they got their due and there wasn't a lot of tour support push after March of the Saint. I mean, they didn't come to South Florida until Symbol. You know, so I never got to see the great Dave Pritchard. You have any good Dave Pritchard story? Ah, oh, Dave was awesome. I mean, uh, I don't know any specific stories, but he just had the greatest sense of humor. He was always joking around and, and doing pranks. And, you know, I went on, I, I wouldn't say on the road with them, but I, went with them after they did their EP to, to Phoenix. We did like three or four shows in, in Phoenix, Tucson and Tempe. And, uh, uh, you know, for about a, a little less than a week, I think I was out there with them. And, uh, you know, we went out in a van and, you know, I had the hotel, had these huge hotel parties afterwards. I mean, it was just total fucking, 
you know, the, the 80s, man. It was just like party time, man. And, you know, Phoenix was just rocking back then. And, uh, you know, we had a blast. But Dave was just fucking hilarious. He was, uh, uh, you know, I don't know any, uh, uh, God, I, I have to think of any specific uh, story that was that was funny. I, I, it was, you just had to know Dave. He was just the coolest dude ever. Just super, super cool. likable. I mean, everybody loved Dave Pritchard. He was such a likable guy. And, uh, sweetest guy, uh, you know, uh, and tremendous talent. I mean, so, what a talent! A what a talent! Loss, man. Yeah, it is. So, it is a terrible loss. Yeah, I mean, everyone. Uh, just his stage presence, the way he looked, his attitude, his guitar playing, his guitar tone. He was just the ultimate guitar player, man. I mean, you think about it. I mean, he he went on to, you know, do duty for two guitar players after you know Phil was out after you know, uh, whatever problems they had uh, after he left. I mean, Dave took over and they became a four-piece and it's still, those albums still sounded, well, shit, they sounded better than March of the Saint production-wise, you know? Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Dave. So, yeah, he was a major, major talent and uh, he will be missed. What, what a shame I never got to see him. I never got to see Cliff Burton either. I mean, Metallica never came to Florida till he really? passed away. Oh, yeah. The wow. first time Metallica was here was um, the Monsters of Rock uh, with Van Hagar and all that crap. Um, right. But because uh, they were touring with Ozzy. Right. And right before Ozzy came down here, they went to Europe and then Queensryche took over. Uh, and, yeah, so I never got to see. That's the that's lame thing about living in Florida. I miss so much good you know, stuff that like Cliff and, and Dave. Those are the two people I would have loved to see live, you know. Right. But and, and Armored Saint, I'm telling you, man, live, Jesus, you want to talk about an energetic show. When I saw them with Queensryche, and don't get me wrong, and nothing against Queensryche, because Queensryche, is, I love them now with Todd, Todd Delatore, but man, they destroyed them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they just came out vicious, and and it kind of and it kind of shows how they are so in tune with their music and what they love to do. Because John Bush doesn't have to do this anymore. You know, sure, and, and uh, but he does for the love of music, you know, and they, love what they do, and they're still hungry, man. They still got that hunger and that drive that keeps, you know, and you hear it in your latest um podcast. He even says it, you know, he says, Look, you know, he's he's a realist, you know, I can't really make a living out of this, but you know, we do this for the love, yeah. and oh man, I can't wait to hear that new one. Uh, is it almost done? Uh, uh, it's about ready to mix. Okay, so everybody already did their parts. Yep. Awesome. Well, Bob, again, I'm honored to have you on my show. And um, please, uh, uh, you know, it, there's no hurry. You know, I'm a patient man, especially when it comes to John Bush and Joe Floyd. You know, if you ever can get those guys to come on the show. And I'd love to have you on with them, you know, and, you know, discuss all the time. And believe me, I got, I got questions for John Bush, you know. And he knows he knows who I am, you know, because I'm surprised because uh, he's very approachable. He's easy to, uh, uh, you know, as far as doing interviews and stuff. I'm surprised you uh, haven't uh, gotten an interview with him yet. Well, it's because I'm a slacker. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll put in the word for sure. Yeah, please, I, I would appreciate it. And one more time, give a little plug to your to to the new Inside Metal uh, and uh, and the premiere and everything. The uh, new Inside Metal movie is titled Bay Area Godfathers, and 
It should be coming out, oh, I would say just before summertime on DVD and streaming. And it's uh, uh, the fourth Inside Metal title. It will be a two-set DVD, and it'll be sold separately as streaming as well. It'll be part one and part two. And uh, we're doing a special screening in San Francisco. So anyone in the Bay Area that or intend to be in the Bay Area on March 29th, it's a Sunday, Sunday afternoon at noon, at noontime matinee, we're going to screen both part one and part two of the uh, Inside Metal Bay Area Godfathers. So uh, any of your fans that want to come down, have them shoot me an email, or get, get in touch with me through Facebook, and I'll hook them up with tickets. Well, I we have a mutual friend that's going. Uh, his name is Brian Davis. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Brian. Yeah, he'll be coming out. He's a yeah, great he, yeah. yeah, he told me he's got a great podcast as well about movies. Yes. And uh, he will be there then again. But but again, Bob, I, I, I am, believe me, to me, you're like John Bush. I, I look up to you, man. And I don't look up to many people. I mean, it must feel good to have a celebrity like me look up to you. Dude, I talk about it every day. I'm so, I'm so shocked <laughs> because I look up to you and you having you look up to me. It's like the two of us looking up to Michael Brandbold. Yeah, oh, by, by the way, uh, make sure to fumigate him before he goes in the theater. <laughs> He's a good guy. Shout out I to I love Mike. your battles with him. That's yeah. I, I love yeah. following your Facebook feed. <laughs> he just loves to push my buttons. No, he's a good guy, and I'm trying to get him to uh, work this uh, work this movie. Actually, you know, uh, Brandvold Marketing. So uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, what happens. Right on. There. Right yeah. on. He's and uh, congratulations to him for getting leather. Uh, yes, leather. leather. Jason Becker. He hooked us up with. We've got Jason Becker featured in this movie, which was just awesome. The fact that we were able to get Jason. His his mother was, uh, uh, you know, able to translate for him. Awesome. Oh, he's so, in it. That's great. Yeah. So he's he's a uh, he's got a lot of a uh, lot of uh, 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 segments in this movie. So uh, uh, it's definitely something to look forward to. We got some. You know, we we got some great people in this movie. It's it's a really really well done and well put together movie. And like I said, we cover the whole spectrum of the Bay Area music scene from you know the late seventies, the yesterday and today era. You know, Dave Metacanny's in yeah. this movie, and uh, you know, uh, up through the the eighties, going through. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we 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 touch on uh, you know uh, a huge amount of the the thrash metal bands, but like as I said. Also, the glamier bands and a lot of the other bands, you know, Damage and so many of these other bands that, you know, were an integral part of that uh, that uh, San Francisco scene, Righteous Sire, Stone Vengeance, uh, that, you know, are rarely talked about, you know. So, uh, yeah, we, we cover it all. And we got, you know, people like Mike Varney and uh, we did Bill Burkhardt's last interview before he passed away. Uh, oh, wow. Owner of the Record Exchange, which was a huge, huge asset to the Bay Area uh, uh, scene and uh, we got Bob Gamber from the, the the record vault and talked to promoters and a lot of people uh, featured in this movie. So uh, yeah, yeah, people will enjoy it for sure. It's it's unfortunate you couldn't get uh, Debbie Abono. She passed away. Uh, very yeah. important. Very important. Yeah, she was really sweet. We 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 met uh, uh, when I came out when I was at Roadrunner and we were working the Heathen record. I came out uh, to the Bay Area. This must have been early nineties and. Uh, yeah, a lot of people, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, we, we try to get as many people as we could, you know. Obviously, we, we always end up getting too many people. Uh, but, you know, I think it's cool. We, we want to definitely get a broad range of, of, uh, 
artists and, and people involved. Well, the most important uh, that you got in the film is Thrash or Die. I mean, come on. Absolutely. Dude, <laughs> you, your music makes, makes the movie, I tell you. Without, you without, without the Thrash or Die music, the movie just wouldn't be the same. Well, that, that goes without saying, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for, for being part of my little podcast here. I'm, well, I really dude, do appreciate it. And it's growing. It's, it's big enough to have John Bush and Joe Floyd on here. There you go. I'll definitely put the word out to John, John and Joe. Joe's not very talkative, but uh, I'm, I'm sure I could get him to do it. Uh, he'll answer some question about the albums, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's all that matters, you know? Again, Bob, I can't thank you enough, and uh, best of luck, and I can't wait to see this. You know, well, I'm, uh, I'm just dying to see this. I said, you'll definitely get in advance, and thank you for all your... Uh, support and uh for all your help uh, with the movies and uh pushing the titles and uh your involvement man so i appreciate all you have done ralph and we will uh, definitely uh keep in touch oh of course and you know if you need my music for any future endeavor you got it man anytime sounds good my friend all right bob you have a great day and uh we'll have you back on with or without john or joe maybe I, me I, okay sounds good man Anybody, anybody, anybody you want to get bring on, you know, I'm Michael Branvold. No, except him. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, dude. Thanks, Bob. Later. Later, buddy. Well, there you have it. The great Bob Nalbamian. What a cool dude. What a metal historian. Uh, Wow. Always great having that guy on the show. And I also want to give a little plug to uh, my friend Brian Davis. I brought him up and said that he has a great movie podcast, but I did not mention the name of the podcast. And that's super lame, so I'm going to do it right now. And check it out, because it's really good. It's called Damn Good Movie Memories. Uh, that's the name of his podcast. It's awesome. I love it. I, I, I pretty much listen to every show. So, uh, quick plug to Brian, and he's a great, great human being, and he deserves it. And he deserves a listen, so give it a shot. All right, now it's time, as always, to go into the vault. All right, here we are in the vault, and uh, gonna pull out a bootleg here. We talked about him a lot. Armored Saint, an incredible band. And I have a FM radio broadcast show from them when they played uh, Harpo's in Detroit back in September 11th, 1984. And uh, it rules. This whole show rules. And it was hard to pick what song I was going to play because they were on fire on this show. All songs were delivered great. But I figured, let me go for this one because it's kind of a deep track and it's a track that really rules. This is Armored Saint live in Detroit with Mutiny. On the world.
Shevitz does that rule. March of the Saint. I love Armored Saint. Can never get enough of them. Anyway, that's it for the Vieira Vault. And if you're listening right now, thank you so much. You know how much I appreciate you guys that even are still listening after the vault. uh, What I pull out of the vault. Uh, Next episode, next week, very, very special. Historic. The original drummer of Merciful Fate, Kim Ruz. That's right. I've never heard an interview with Kim Ruz. Well, you're going to hear it next week on that Vieira Vault. So be here or just be lame. Thanks, everybody. Love you all. Really, I really do. And leave an iTunes review and I'll read it on the air. Later, everybody. Schmack-a-ma-gob.